Welcome to Beyond the Summit. This is Scalability's series of podcasts where we have some really interesting chats to some really interesting Northwest business leaders. If you want to hear more in the series, hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what we do, visit us at scale-ability.co.uk. Welcome to season two of Beyond the Summit, Scalability's podcast with me, your host, Ruth Wilkinson. We're here with Matt Jackson. Matt, can you, for those listeners, just tell people what it is that you do? Do or did, I am one of the founder members of Lancaster Brewery Company and C2 Investment, which is what probably most known for. I've came out of university, took the wrong decision paths with my degree or not using my degree rather, but uh, got lucky by finding my true talents, which was pub Seliman. Well, so you say Seliman, so like we, we need to just prepare people, don't we? Because you've had to move out of a noisy bar to do this podcast to record it. And um, not that they can see you right now, but you're currently in a cellar. In the cellar. <laughs> yeah. So just before we press record, you said, mm, compressor might come on while I'm talking. So it wasn't just the amount of people were there, which was nice to see it busy. It was the Christmas tunes. I <laughs> <laughs> just would not do. <laughs> okay. So to add a little bit of context to that, from which bar have you just left to come downstairs into your own cellar? I am currently uh, supposed to be sort of retired from the main company and I've sort of helped with my brother with his setup of his new company and I'm in Arnside at JJ Crossfield's new Cafe Wine Bar, something a bit extraordinary this one, nope there is no bar, it's table service, it's, it's very female friendly which again isn't necessarily me even though I designed it, it's like everything I would hate in a bar but it's quite successful. Yes. Okay. And it is beautiful. And it's been going about six months, just, yeah. I think. Is that right? Six months, two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations. Right. So the point of this this podcast is for us to have a bit of a chat, but ultimately we're going to discover a little bit about you. And I think really the people that listen to this podcast like to tap into experiences, knowledge, past events that other people have undertaken in their entrepreneurial journey um, and what they've learned from those and helping them to then learn from theirs. So can I start with some questions for you? Please. Okay. We're not going to quite call it a quick fire round, but you could call it a quick fire round. Best investment? Uh, Duke of Edinburgh in Barrow, the hotel. £410,000 freehold. What's it worth now? Many million, but we're saying that we spent many million on it. But we were right place, right time, and we caught the market napping. No, there was no chains apart from Weatherspoons and Yates's. There were the only two chain bars. There was no hoddy. There was one travel lodge, and now they're all there. They are all there because of Trident and the development of the dockyards. But we we were first, so it's like, where would you like your pub? In that corner, please. How much? Not a lot, because it's it was a very rundown industrial town, and we took a chance. So the so the Duke the Duke is is for anyone who doesn't know is a is a big old building. Yeah. So it's uh, one of my proudest moments. My father, I don't we go on these tangents, but you know me well enough. I do. Uh, I'm very upset with my life choices. Uh, not just talking about Sarah here. We're talking about uh, he was super <laughs> Hold on, hold on. Sarah's your wife, and I don't think. 
Well, I think we just need to explain to our listeners that there is a hint of sarcasm in everything that you say, because Sarah would probably throttle you for that. But then, anyway, so your father, your father was your father was a superintendent. Superintendent. So when his son became a publican, as far as he was concerned, but that's where crime happens. He was hugely upset. First one to go to grammar school, first one to go to university. The the whole family. And I became a publican. He was hugely upset. But when we got across the road from the Duke of Edinburgh, the first time I took him there, and we stood directly opposite at the train station, I said, that's it. And he says, which bit? And I said, well, you can fill in the other words I said, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> and that made me feel very high and mighty that moment in time. <laughs> it looked like Harrods. <laughs> well, it, it is a gorgeous building now, now that you've put all the work into it. And how many how many hotel rooms is that? 51 in there. 51, okay. And we have a restaurant, we've got a bar and, and oh, downstairs miles, space. Right? Yeah, lots. And it's still busy, still busy. Right. Beautiful. So four, 431 or 1,000, I think you said. Okay, and you, yeah. you said right time, you got lucky, everybody else was napping. Yep. But it's still nearly half a million quid purchase plus all of the other investment that then had to go into even get it looking right. yeah. somewhere that somebody would even want to go into. How does somebody hold the nerve when they're buying something <laughs> that's half a million quid with another two, well, two million, whatever it was that's going to get pumped into that thing before it opens its doors and the TILF takes its first amount of cash? How do you do that? Uh, well, I, there's two of us in this relationship and obviously Phil's got a lot of, uh, to say in this one. In fact, the Duke more than most. Um, he was the one pushing for this one. But I'm quite avant-garde. I'm, I'm a true believer in everything I do. And it's like the field dreams. If you build it, they will come. You know, you have to have that quality about you that I know I'm better than all the others and I'm going to prove it. Here is a case in point in JJ's. And uh, yeah, so I was m much more... Uh, risky and Phil was much more risk averse and I think that the quality of that relationship we had with us steadied on us on a course so for example we didn't just go into 51 bedrooms we went into doing the bar first which was the loss leader but you have to have your doors open you have to have a reception and a welcoming and then we did 18 bedrooms and that was also involving government grants at the time which seemed like a lovely thing but looking back I, I never say never but it was a real hindrance because you have to go through their process of having three different uh, tenders, professional tenders, not like my guys are just coming on a Saturday morning. And then you have to like, they select which one, then you have to do the work, have it inspected, and then they come and um, pay you afterwards. So that really left us cash trapped. I remember that at the time thinking we would have never done the pointing. We'd have never done that staircase in the manner that we did it. So. It wasn't a huge grants, it was 370,000, but you know, in the scheme of things at the time, it seemed like a lot. Um, so we had all these advantages going for us and also the strategy of going in small and working it up, uh, which has obviously ultimately been successful. Uh, the, the 51 final rooms came from ch changing the function room into another eight bedrooms and moving the function room into the basement because we had all this space doing nothing. And also the ground, ground floor. We, ne we never expected the ground floor to go into bedrooms but actually when you think about it you've got disabled that is fantastic we've only got four bedrooms down there dog friendly as well so they can access easy to rather go through the hotel 
So we've, we've gone down another avenue as well. So it's actually an organic process with myself and Phil to, to work things out and also to ride the market. When we make a decision, it's literally me and him at the end of the phone saying, what do you think? We don't sit down in a big board meeting and, and strategize. How did well, the first five year business plan come along? Yeah, our office said, Phil, we need to sit down and work this. But how did the first one go? Well, we're supposed to have six lease pubs in five years. We had two freehold hotels and a brewery. <laughs> we're organic. We just, we like it. We don't like it. Move on. But but that's I mean that's an interesting point you raised about the whole business planning thing because I think I think the bigger you get the more is required of people and the more the more audits required and the more paperwork's required and so on and so forth. But but that's the question, isn't it? As an entrepreneur, because an entrepreneur it ultimately will create a business, but then that business becomes involved with people and process and everything else that goes with it. Are you as happy to approach all of that side as you are to do the kind of exciting upfront stuff do you kind of lose interest once it's up and running or are you all are you right throughout the process do you think what's your natural I, I, i'm very much fully submerged into the, in the process it's always always been that way where phil's been much more uh office based and been able to stand above or i should say but he's not that much of an ivory tower fellow is he <laughs> but he can he can look at it as a as fiscal thing as opposed to an emotional thing so that's i've always been the uh the, the cuddly one so do you do you think between is that what makes is that what made the success is that, that you had two people who worked well together but came at things from a a very different standpoint i, I totally totally believe that and i think if you interviewed him as well i think he might say exactly the same we he'd cut his right arm off if he couldn't have a another mission star star meal because that's his thing he lives for that a friday night club we call it they go out they spend big but that's their that's their love they go for a nice hotel lovely meal decent wine i'm like i need my curry reheated at 11 30 when our licensing hours are finished i'm satiated and i'm ready for my reheated curry and that to me is utopia there are different utopias here mm. and there was an example once he went to a, um, uh, it was a, a fabric showroom and he got all these swatches out, books upon books upon books. He says, right, I've already picked your turn. I'm not going to tell you. And I literally went through it. I said, that one, that one, five minutes. It's like women in a shoe shop versus men. Women, men do not stay long in them environments. Them ones. And he showed me his, they're exactly the same. So there are things that, we're totally different about, but also things that we actually came to agree. If if I liked it, if he liked it, there were people like us that also like it. Yeah. Go for it. They're out there. So your process to get to somewhere may be different, but ultimately what you both got is in, in common is that you end up, I suppose, ultimately getting to the same place just in two different ways. Yeah, and, and equally, the design of the pubs has changed over the years because we both recognised we can't keep painting things brown. <laughs> so we both recognized that at the same time and we got a designer in who then got a designer employed by the designer in and if you look at the titan log for example that's very much a reflection of carl who was doing our projects employed uh, someone else that said oh, i need someone else to give it even more you know take it to another level so we both recognize that at the same time we can't keep painting things brown or <laughs> or versions of brown <laughs> 
So what keeps what keeps you going then? So when you've done something and you've you've celebrated success and things calm down, it's a relatively predictable day, week, month, year. What is it in your brain that's there? So I'm going to go and chuck something else in the mix here because why not? Things were just going nice and steady. I'm just going to go and give myself a load more stress or aggravation or success, whatever it ends up being. But what think- what? What is you that? In that question, you, you you assume that it's it's myself or obviously myself in this interview or myself Bill. The the business is organic in itself. The business now we've got a brewery and a distillery and we need outlets. We've also got suppliers that need volume going through to get the right prices. So the business is almost like or, or offers come to the business. Have you thought about opening up in Preston? Have you thought about Carlisle? Have you? Hello, Mr. Compressor. Hello, here comes the compressor. <laughs> that, hey, I love that. That's since we're still in beer upstairs. You know? <laughs> so, um, <sighs> so, yeah, a lot of it is ourselves as individuals, but the business is always organic. When we had, when we first started having multiple venues, we had three in Lancaster, and we realised early doors that did not work at all because all we were doing was splitting our own market. Some people can do that, they can offer other things, or they're, they're happy with splitting their market, but we really did uh, drive a wedge into our pubs. And that's when we realized one per town, you know, and that's where we went. I mean, Lancaster's a bit different because the train station was so obvious to do. Again, business to business, Network Rail came to us through a, um, a brewer friend of mine in Stoke, funny enough, who did the Stoke train station version. And he says, Matt, I can't do this one. I'd love to do it. It's a beautiful site, but I've recommended you. I said, well, I'm, I know the guy anyway. So a couple of years later, before you know it, Lancaster Brewery now got a, a train foothold. And hopefully, because we've done so well with that one, a few more train footholds are coming. You've, taught, you've said the word organic a few times. Okay, so oh, business is organic sorry. and think no, you're... my English teacher will be. <laughs> I never really read. I never read. <laughs> do you think that's an entrepreneurial thing, or do you think that is just particular to the way in which you and Phil um, have d- do business? So I've, I've, I do the entrepreneurs in residence at the university, and one of the things I say at every single lecture: I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm just somebody thought they could do it and do it better. That's it. If you wake up in the morning thinking I'm an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial, you're fit for failure. So I don't like that word and to describe it by ourselves. I think it's just who we are. Um, so no, I don't, I don't agree. It's because we're entrepreneurs. We are just driven. We, we see something and realize that will be, that's a good fit for the business. And, and not very often we, we've been right. You don't consider yourself to be entrepreneur. So what what do you consider an entrepreneur? I'll throw it back. Um, I was happy being a, a bar manager with Sarah, yeah? And it wasn't about money. If I had enough to have a few scoops and something to eat, I loved my work. I worked, I don't know how many hours a day. It was never about the money or driven. It was actually Phil that realised there was something in me that with what I was doing, every single pub I ran, I turned around from terrible to like incredible every single way he says you're making money for everyone else so he saw in me an opportunity to 
he did very well in life and he said I can invest this and it sort of it changed me a lot but I was still in essence the same person looking at JJ's you know look look at the style I've done this pub it's ridiculous absolutely it's so out of character for me I just wanted me and my brother sat down what do you fancy shall we have a double what would be really interesting what are things that Phil would never let you do Matt <laughs> well let me start with this and off we go but that's uh, yeah. But what you but you mentioned something then about doing it better. There are men, there are many people that sit in a pub, a bar, a restaurant, a hotel. I don't know, an ice cream shop, whatever it may be, and think they could do this a lot better than they're doing it. Yeah. But they don't. They they don't. they don't go and do it. So okay. so so what's that I, bit? I think it's actually rather me being entrepreneurial was them not being prepared to take a risk. Is that not okay. somebody out that Lamborghini that's too young for it? I'm thinking either rich kid or fair play to you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not jealous of, at all because if somebody's taking a risk, and I, I respect that. And nine out of ten won't make it. They just won't, and you don't hear about them. They fall on the wayside. No, I, I just think it's the risk, it's having the belief, and also having the the correct belief. By the way. Yeah, you, you've seen Dragon's Den when they come up with the most ridiculous... No, stop it. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you do do something. You've got to have a, a mixture. When, I, when you... uh, I, always, I always refer to that as the Simon Cowell question when he used to say, who told you you could sing? You know, be, and the, 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 the participant would normally answer my mum and just nodded his head as if to say, well, there you go then. You know, there is an aspect of... of if you surround yourself with people that tell you it was a brilliant idea, it's encouraging, but it might not necessarily be the most sober advice you're ever going to take. That's, you know, a mix of people's kindness versus people's blindness in that scenario. But so you think it's the risk-taking part? How many people do? They all see it. They all know. They all know where they're going wrong. Because you can read about it on TripAdvisor. You know, everyone's got an opinion. All right, love, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> So the best investment was the Duke. When you try and single out one single investment, yeah, that, I get, I get. There's many, but yeah, yeah. Or you can say the original. You know, there's the opening of C two investment. You know, Phil had forty thousand. We had to borrow forty thousand. That was my my contribution. We had ten thousand pound left to to develop a pub in two thousand two. How? Paint everything brown, apparently. <laughs> it seemed like the right choice. I went to the Slate Graveyard. We, got, we just nicked Slate from everywhere, uh, legally. Yeah, reclaimed. Reclaimed. The word's reclaimed. Yeah. Correct. That's how we did it. And it looked bijou and neat. <laughs> Question from that, then. What has been your most disappointing investment? And that, that by the way, can be an item. It could be your time into something. I, I've, yeah, I've, got to say, I've got two disappointments in my life. I won't go into that now. She doesn't deserve it. But I would say the one that upset me the most, and it was probably the right call, was the Palatine um, when we we failed and we turned into a tenancy. And this is another where Phil comes in because he's able to look at something from above, whereas I'm too, like, in the mix and we turned it from a pub that was costing us 50,000 a year to maybe making us 50,000 a year as a hundred grand switch. And I just thought 
we have failed. And I took that really, really personally. And we haven't at all. We still own the building. It's an ever-increasing uh, asset in our, on our equity portfolio. We, we make money every year from it because obviously it's, uh, we get the rent and we get barrelage. But that moment where I don't want my brand on it because Drew, bless him, he knows Morecambe and knows how to run his part of Morecambe. That's not my Morecambe. I, I love that part, but we weren't making any money ever. You know, took 10, 12 grand a week, broke even. Take eight, you're losing. And we could never get it over the next line. And one thing I did learn on that is that we spend 80% of our time on 20% of our business, the, the trouble child, yeah? And the good, good side never gets our attention at all because we haven't got time. And it's a real, uh, it seems obvious to say now, but until you've lived it, it yeah. you don't identify it. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's there's also that 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 kind of trap of of you know you can make it better, but then there comes a point where by how much time do you expend in in in, in trying to make it better? When actually, you know, the house is on fire behind you, but no one's looking at that because the immediate problem remains in front, and it can have devastating effects to other aspects in your business. Yeah, um, you know, when you think about, I, I know I've made many many mistakes. Well, funny if you you don't you don't focus on them. You focus on your daily negatives, what's in front of you now, but n not the past ones. You just you, you're always looking forward, and um, yeah, I know, I know I've made many. Oh my God, I know I've made many. So, but what's the point in beating yourself up? Absolutely. So you said before you don't consider yourself a, an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What would you describe an entrepreneur as then? If not you, then what is what what is one? Well, I don't want to be in their company. If they start that game, I'm an entrepreneur, you know. Michelle Drew Jubry from The Apprentice, a serial entrepreneur. No, you're not. No, you're not. Just, you're on The Apprentice. Stop it. I don't know. What do I call them? Hey, good luck to them. I, I, they're business people. Hey, good luck to them. I say I really have no malice to see people do well. I, I, I yearn to see people do well because I know how many people don't. And how many people want to, and they should have the full respect for their efforts. So, what's your description of you then? A risk taker? Uh, what? What is it if it's not an entrepreneur? Uh, Multi-millionaire Matt Jackson on paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not even I'm looking at on a daily basis in my bank account. Um, what do I describe myself? Just uh, happy-go-lucky. Bit of a chancer, done all right, and, and rode the waves. Okay, I think you may be selling yourself short. Even if you are currently recording this podcast while sat, no one else can see. I can on a barrel in a cellar. <laughs> what they can't see is our look at look at it. It's going all go. Oh, I know but, it's the yeah. noise of the pumps that's bothering me, but I know yeah, that you I'm want really that. <laughs> and also the size of the barrel. It's a big barrel. It's not a little barrel. We do big barrels here because we're busy. You are you are literally totaling how much that is every time it makes a noise, aren't you? And yeah. how many pints? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, my, ne my next question, what makes you happy? I don't need to ask. I think I've just realised what that is. But, yeah, the one thing, do you think, in, in, in the one idea that you may have missed... We've done the great investment. We've done the investment that you maybe didn't quite meet your aspiration. I know exactly what it is. It's, there was a, uh, an old NatWest Bank in Grange 
that we had first dibs on. And when I say we, I went. I always approach Phil first. That's my my company is Lancaster Brewery. I'm working with my brother on his Lakes and Bay Bar Group. Yeah. So I make it very clear to Steve, my brother, is this is I'm not falling out with Phil over anything. If there's a site, I go and speak to Phil about it. When Phil says no, which is mostly, <laughs> it's an easy one because I know Phil's going to say no. As long as I'm dressed it badly, Grange Over Sands is not your ideal place to go to. But I've shown Arnside what you can do. There are nice people everywhere. They've just got nowhere nice to go. And without being disparaging about the pubs in Arnside or in Grange, I think people that go there know we haven't got that next level of service and aspiration. People are coming out less. They're going out once a week, not five times a week. Where do you go for that one nice experience? And I know Grange and I know the people at Grange and this site, oh my God, number one Main Street with the view over the bay coming back at Arnside with a little terrace as well. And it wasn't for me at the time. I didn't have the money. Um, Steve was starting his idea of having a, a company. I tried, I, I, tried to, I tried to get him involved with Mike Hall. I don't know if you know, you know Mike Hall. Um, and they just couldn't come together. And I failed. So it wasn't even my business that I failed on. It was knowing I was, I was bringing forces together that could go somewhere with it. And I'd help them and we'd do the Lancaster Brewery support. I'd be there to guide them. And I failed. And now I look at that site every day because I want to be in Grange. I want a site in Grange. 140,000 freehold. Four stories. Who took it in the end then? A charity. Oh, you missed out there. Yeah. I know. Well done them. <laughs> well done them. So I, that is the one that I always harp on about, like, wherever I found. There's, there's been others. Uh, absolutely, there's been others. But that's the one that really, really still sticks. So I'm not going to use the word entrepreneur. We don't really know what that, what that word is. But what, what kind of, you know, I don't know, let's say you had the opportunity, you were looking at you 20 years ago, knowing what you know now. What advice do you think you would have needed or you could give to the... Right. The younger you. What a good question. Um, I wonder how rich I would be if I was teetotal. <laughs> you know, that would be an interesting uh, aside. But, um, apart from, uh, so apart from putting the money for a pint in, in a jar, what other advice would you give, do you think? That is, that is a really good question. Because I don't, I don't know if you can give someone advice when they're on a journey like that. It's... Everything happened as it happened and for a reason, and you deal with it. You, to actually have a, well, you heard my five-year plan. We just now we just we just moved the times. There must there must listen. That will come back and I'll wake up at three a.m. tonight and think about that. <laughs> I don't know. I think to have no one. I didn't have parental support, and neither did Phil. We didn't have um, sort of a mentor. It was just me and him. It, it, very, yeah, very good question. I think uh, there was a couple of times in, in the early days where we were really on rock bottom. In the first back quarter, you get away with everything. Um, you just do. Everyone's giving you credit. Second back quarter, there is no credit. 
third back quarter, you're in the shit. Yeah, there is nowhere to turn. And luckily, we've seen enough growth that Thwaites at the time saw there was an opportunity to tie us in by giving us the terrible, terrible Sun Hotel in the centre of town. And that was their mistake or benefit. We're still technically trading with their free trade division, still after 20, 21 years. Um, but I remember that moment thinking, Phil saying, because the monies weren't there. And it was Christmas Eve, and we're downstairs, he's playing the fruit machines. Imagine me with a fruit machine in the pub. That's a long time ago. And he came behind the bar when this guy was asking for Baileys. And I, I went on my spiel saying, we don't do Baileys. We do uh, John Gray, or we do Sanctus, or we do, what kind of a pub is this? And I said, look, mate, I'll be honest with you. My mum's over there. My sister's over there looking at me like I'm the devil because I'm not celebrating Christmas with them. I really don't need this, but I'll tell you what. If you don't like it, I'll give you your money back, all right? And Phil Kitter's behind the bar at that moment in time and says, that's it, you've gone too far. We're having Carling back, we're having Stella back, we're having John Smith Smooth, get rid of all your nonsense behind that bar, all this flashy spirits, get back to basics. And I was on such a downer. But he came back 20 minutes later and goes, they were amazing. I would like four more double doubles. <laughs> Phil was there at that moment in time. And it's the moments in time that spearhead your direction, not somebody telling you this is how to do it. If anything, the most obvious statement is that self-belief. Yeah. Self-belief. Yeah. I yeah. know why I'm doing this. And I know there's people like me that want it. At that moment, I'm walking under the Waterwich Bridge in January. Sarah's given me £20 just to leave the pub because <laughs> I'm taking the milk sour. And it was so depressing. No students, no nothing. It was pouring down. As I'm walking under, these people were walking over the top of me. What are you doing? I'm going to do Belgium tonight. What are you doing? I'm going to do the gins. What are you doing? And I was just like, that was it. I came back very intoxicated because I was just on a high from that moment where they are out there. In yeah. Every town, there are people. Cool. Yeah. That's the end of part one of talking with Matt Jackson. I am Ruth Wilkerson. I have been your host for the Scalability Beyond the Summit podcast. Join us next time for episode two with Matt.